episode 175 and uh, we are on to the penultimate game of the season and our last away game of the season. Um, how are we feeling today? Kukurea wigs en masse. Uh, the club probably made a fortune from their blue and white wig giveaway as well, I think, this week. Uh, I think it was £30 in store and you get a free one. So they were latching onto it. Um, how are we feeling today? Leads away. Nothing really to play for for us. Everything to play for for them. Um, how are we feeling about it? Good? Bad? Mediocre? Comfortable, I think. Um, like I think that we've, we've set our sights on on getting as high as we can, um, as opposed to looking over our shoulders for the first time in, what, five years? So, um, yeah, I mean, it, we'll, we'll come on to the team, but obviously unchanged um, from a 4-0 win. So, uh, yeah, I think I was comfortable. I was excited to see um, how, how desperate it would have got from, from their side as well. So uh, that proved to be pivotal. Um, it's it's hard to cast my mind back to prior to to, to the kickoff, uh, but I think coming off of coming off of beating Man U four nil, you go into this game thinking you can just smash anyone. Um, you, you run out. It was it was the same team, right? I don't think we made a change, did we? Same team. Correct. Yep, identical um, team. I believe it was identical bench as well. So just the straight 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 squad. <sighs> We've been before. We know our away form generally this season has been been very good. Um, I was hoping for something impressive here. I, I was hoping for a good win, and especially because we know the way that Leeds play almost plays into what we want to do as a team. Um, so yeah, I mean that, that fell apart relatively quickly uh, after. Well, not until I guess we scored. Prior to that, it looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the problem, wasn't it? I think as soon as we went a goal up, uh, Leeds went into fight for their lives mode. Um, but that first twenty minutes, uh, <laughs> we just absolutely ripped them a new one. Um, was outraged. I think I saw some Leeds fans asking if they were playing Brazil or Brighton uh, at one point because we were just ripping them badly. Um, how how poor is Furpo, first of all? <laughs> as a footballer at this level. Um, and how much fun were Gross and Solly March having on that right-hand side early days? Um, it was it was like we were almost playing 11 against 10. Um, you, I mean, you can see why Leeds are where they are uh, when you watch us carve them apart about eight different times in that first 20 minutes. Yeah. English clubs need to learn not to buy Barcelona cast-offs. Um, <laughs> Because they very, 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 very rarely work out, um, and he's he's obviously rubbish. But we also know that Leeds were they've got ravaged by injuries. They had two players banned on red cards today. Like this was, and we'll get into this in a little bit more detail as well. But I mean, Rafinha for the most part was crap. So I've no, I've never seen that many corners so bad. Uh, I just hit the how many times did he hit the first man? on those corners and he's there like ironically rumored to be joining Barcelona if they go down. Cause I think his release clause goes down to 25 million quid as opposed to, I think it's 65 million if they stay up. Yep. Um, <sighs> this, this is our problem though. This has been a problem prior to this great run that we've been on is that is we've gone back to the sort of dominate the ball, create a load of opportunities, create a load of chances. And then you walk away with either zero or one goal and it's just not, it's not enough. And that's the thing, isn't it? Is that 
those that dominance in the first 20 minutes means that we should <laughs> have more for for what we were playing for so um yeah i mean I, like josh said you, it's fully understandable where they are in the table and, and how they play uh obviously disjointed and, and injury ravaged as well throughout the season but they don't help themselves and Furpo was just <laughs> atrocious um i think apart from the goal obviously they like we would they went into you know saving lives mode but yeah i think it was far too much joy down that right hand side and uh, once we got the goal they, they kind of changed that or it would just manage to become a scrappy mess for the rest of the game yeah, uh, Jude Man in the chat, late joining has, has Morpe uh, leaving the bench been discussed. It's not, uh, it will be a um, little bit later on once we get to the, the players and especially towards the end of the game, uh, that will be discussed because um, there's a bit of both there uh, in terms of what he did and what happened after um, from, from people I've got at the ground that have been talking to me about it. So it uh, will be discussed for sure, but not quite yet. Um, in terms of the goal itself, uh, peak Danny Welbeck, wasn't it? Uh, great, great pass from Desuma caused that Leeds defender all the problems in the world because he was just so out of position, both positionally and body wise. He was just kind of tied up like a pretzel. Uh, and great strength from Welbeck. Um, and then just the coolest, calmest finish you could ask for. Uh, it was almost like he was seeking revenge for the United chip that didn't go in last week. Uh, he was like, by hook or by crook, I'm scoring a chip from an hour angle before the end of the season. <laughs> and and he went for it and, and Melier was just left all at sea. Um, and at that point, it was it really felt like how many as opposed to anything else, right? That was absolutely audacious. Oh, I don't, I think it's easy to sort of downplay how hard it is to do that. But what he did was, well, firstly, I want to go back 10 seconds prior to that. Basuma won the ball just outside the 18-yard, just outside the, the the area, then just sprinted down the pitch and played Welbeck a wonderful pass um, that enabled him to even do what he did. Uh, that was sort of classic earlier season Welbeck play. Um, the fact that he danced around, put the defender off balance, then had the composure to do what he did, there was no other way he was scoring there. There was, there was nothing else for him to do. It was a chip or the keeper saves it or it goes wide. Um, just fantastic. I think if he hadn't have finished with that much confidence and aplomb, um, maybe the header at the, towards the end of the game wouldn't have been as disappointing. But we, we saw every side of Welbeck in this game. That's the thing. It's, it's just his, it's just composure personified, isn't he, really? Um, when it comes to those chances, and we'll come to the chance towards the end of the game, where composure's not needed, just instinct. Um, he, he's got that side to him as well. And, and we say it over and over again, um, if he put every single one of these chances away, um, he wouldn't be at Brighton on an ongoing year-by-year deal. So um, you, you take the good with the bad, and it's an insane finish. It's incredible. Yeah, I think I've heard it uh, from both Gus Poyet and Graham Potter, uh, a similar phrase that they've said more than once um, in their time here. And they're the only two I've heard say it, that they hate open games um, because it means that they're not in control. Uh, And today, for pretty much the next 70 minutes of football, uh, summed up that very much so. I felt that there was no control for either team. Um, 
definitely Leeds had the better of the, the the pushing forward because we went into that kind of sit back mode and they went into fight for their lives mode. Um, James in the chat as a Leeds fan, don't know how it wasn't 10 nil to be honest. Um, Brighton are a class act and Potter a great coach. Might have just saved our season though, so cheers for that, lads. Yeah, I said on Twitter, the only solace I've got is I absolutely despise Burnley as well, so at least they're going to go down instead or possibly Everton for the memes. Um, yeah, uh, you know, at the same time though, Leeds had plenty of chances as well. Uh, if it wasn't for what should be Spain's number one come November, uh, pulling off two outrageous saves. Absolute shade to David De Gea. It was yeah. unbelievable, wasn't it, today? Uh, Sanchez was superb. Um, I thought most of the back line had a really good game today. Um, they they were very comfortable sitting in that kind of compact block. Um, but in terms of the rest of the game, the strategies that were laid out, the tactics that were laid out, it was all just very much so open, end-to-end, really tough to control football. Um, and I don't think there's much need to go further into that other than discussing all the chances that came up. Um, but Robert Sanchez today, unbelievable, I thought. Really good. I mean, yeah, just the, the near post save as well from Click and the even the free kick save, I think. It's, that's the Sanchez that we know and love, isn't it? And like we like we said last week, he was he was getting some uh, some doubters here and there, um, but it just shows you how good he is. And you think from a, a two year period from this time, what twenty four months ago, just how far he's progressed. It is it's kind of scary, really. Um, but he should and probably will be going to Qatar. Um, but he should, he should be number one, as we've said. Um, I think so. Yes, yeah, Sanchez, fantastic. I. It, Honestly, if he didn't concede at the end, I think he's man of the match for me. Um, he still might be. But I, I think we tricked ourselves a little bit. And, and the, as viewers, we got tricked into thinking that we should have been up, you know, 10-0 or whatever James has said in the chat. But it was such a flurry of, of dominance that lasted for, as we said, like 20, 30 minutes. Outside of that, as you mentioned, Josh, I would we couldn't string a pass together for a period of about 20 minutes, uh, in, especially in the, the, the start of the second half. And it, and the game was too open. And that style of football where, you know, we want to control the possession, we want to build up and create these chances, there were none of that. It was just smash the ball up this way, get possession back and try and make something happen. And then it fizzled out. Um, in some ways, I think we we almost tricked everyone for about 20 minutes into thinking it looked like we should have won this game heavily. But in reality, it was a, it was a close game. It, it, if anything, Leeds maybe should have won that game 2-1 based on the, the outcome of the second half. Yeah. My opinion. No, that's fair. Um, I think that's the problem, isn't it? Uh, we started off so well, and I can see why people would have the view that uh, maybe Leeds should have got more from it. Um and, and I think the problem is, is we did sit back so comfortably. Uh, we just allowed them to, to dominate the ball. And it doesn't matter who you're allowing to dominate the ball at a Premier League level, they're, they're going to get something sooner or later. Um, but on the other side of things, I think Albion fans are, are looking at, in terms of the, that first half especially, um, there was just a, an absolute plethora of final passes and touches that were not good enough. Um, the amount of yeah. square balls into the box... Uh, in that first half, even after the first goal, um, we we squared that ball in four or five times. So it either rolled past absolutely everybody or whoever whoever got it, it was under their feet. Solly March, like just 
skewed one wide for no reason whatsoever. Um, I think, especially in that first half, there were, I think, I, th- I really do think there were a few chances there where we probably could have gone in 3 0 up and it wouldn't have looked uh, insulting to the scoreline. Um, nice. Second half, I think, is a different story altogether. And I think when you come off of that second half where we've basically just sat back almost the entire half and been battered. Um, I think at the same time, then you you can definitely sway that way of like, well, Leeds did enough in that second half to score two, which they arguably did. It's frustrating because you look at you look at the data itself, um, not just from this game, but the fact that I mean, Leeds have conceded seventy eight goals this season. Seventy eight. Norwich have conceded seventy nine, and they're a laughing stock. And we couldn't score more than one goal, and it was a, a, many strikers would have missed that. So it was, it was fortunate in many ways that Worldbet was able to do that. Like, that's bad. That is bad. And I, I think it goes back to what you said at the start of the game. It's like we we had the quality and that 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 drive to to get ahead in the game early on. Then sort of didn't take our chances, and then it just became just this matter of who wants the game more. And it wasn't Brighton. It, that that was that was very clear. Yeah, I think. That all comes down to, you know, they're obviously fighting for their survival and, and what they're trying to do. And they, they it turned into a really scrappy game, which doesn't suit us at all. Um, we Like you guys have been saying, we like to be in control. We like to be able to dictate and, and be proactive um, for the last 65 minutes of the game, um, for the majority of the game. There's this huge open play of to and fro's and going from one end to the other, one end to the other. Um, it doesn't suit us. I mean, our defense is incredible, you know, and, and we know that. Um, it, obviously, Sanchez was counted on a few times today to make those make those saves when needed, and he, he did really well. Um, but yeah, you, you can't take any way like anything away from from Leeds in that respect. You know, there, there will there will be people that didn't watch this game and saying, oh, you know, Leeds are lucky to to get a draw and stuff just because they scored in the ninety first minute. But but that second half was so open and the amount of defending and, and saves we had to do because we invited that pressure and we allowed it to become a scruffy game um means that the draw is about right for me yep uh just to add uh adam 78 79 goals against uh norwich this year uh none of them scored by brighton by the way <laughs> uh two, two nil nil draws uh and only the one uh of leeds is 78 scored against them by us as well um, we are not particularly great uh, when it comes to scoring goals against incredibly defensively frail teams, unless they are named Watford, uh, in which case we can just line them up um, because yeah, they are really awful. Can't score against Norwich, can't score can't score anything more than a goal against Leeds, but we can you know, beat Wolves' staunch defence 3-0, put four past Man U. It's just like, I mean, it's just classic Brighton, isn't it? Just do the opposite of what we expect to happen. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not ideal, is it? Um, in terms of uh, the goal itself, the late goal, uh, I thought I was a little bit disappointed with our substitutions. If I'm absolutely honest, um, I thought we could have yeah. been a bit more, uh, thought, uh, just a bit more expressive, a bit more enthusiastic. Um, that first substitution, uh, Solly March coming off, Adam Webster coming on, almost felt like we were setting up to just sit back and try and win, eke out a one-nil win. 
uh, when in Albion history uh, in my entire 28 years of being alive and conscious enough to know what Albion are, uh, has that ever worked? <laughs> uh, because I, I, would, I would probably say maybe three times <laughs> out of the thousands of games. Um, and, and it didn't really get much better after that. It was an incredible worry seeing uh, Caicedo coming off and Adam Lallana on. Um, you couldn't get a bigger downgrade for me uh, in terms of what you need for that physical presence in the midfield um, and what Caicedo offers as opposed to what Lallana offers. Um, and then Tarek Lamptey on late uh, to pro- presumably offer that counter-attack and, and that break, uh, which he almost did uh, yeah. exactly to schedule uh, the last kick of the game. So outside of the Lamptey sub, the other two I thought were really quite disappointing. Um, I would have liked to have seen Alzate instead if you're taking off Caicedo. I would have liked to have seen Ferguson come on. Um, you know, I would have liked to have seen something a little bit different. But it, it felt negative right from the start there in that second half. The Webster one was the one that frustrated me a little bit. And I get it. I, I know that the game needed to be reshuffled a little bit because those first 10, 15 minutes of the second half were just bleak football. Um, just it. It's one of... You, if you watch games, right, and this is sometimes the game just purely washes over you and, and you could just not watch it and you would come back to the game in the exact same state as if you just sat there and watched every pass. That was what the first part of the second half felt like. Um, Webster coming on obviously allowed us to put Veltman out to, and, and push up. I thought Veltman was pretty poor today. A lot of misplaced passes. Um, that felt weird. Lamptey was pretty late as 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 we said it's great that we can bring Lamptey on for that change of pace no defender wants to see Lamptey come on at the end of a game then if he could finish it would be a different situation I don't mind Lalana as the sub because what he created was what you saw for about a period of five or so plus minutes far top left of the pitch where we created a triangle with Lalana pretty much being you know one point of that just passed the ball around endlessly between Lalana, Kukurea, I can't remember who else was there, and wasted a bunch of time. I think that's pretty much what Potter told him to do. Go on, Adam, sit there, just pass the ball around in in circles or triangles, and then we're going to just try and waste some time. But that works until it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, I I didn't mind mind the the Lalana sub. I think in hindsight, you you can say that physical presence was lost, and that's fine. I would have liked to have seen... Lamptey on earlier and um, I think the like you said it was bleak viewing from 45 to 60 minutes and, and having someone like that come on in 65 just be able to to impact the game as much as he does um, he can do that for 20-25 minutes and, and give a bit of counter-attacking when we probably needed it um, but that's just me that's my own opinion but um, yeah it was a weird one where we didn't get them quite right today I felt a little bit bad for Veltman uh, he was absolutely hacked today wasn't he he was fouled more than any other player in the Brighton team yeah five times he was fouled today which is a lot at any game uh, shouldn't be surprising at the dirtiest team in Premier League history but <laughs> uh it was he was he was in the wars today um I felt a little bit bad for him with that uh and yeah it, it was not great uh in terms of that pass accuracy pass percentage you know, he wasn't even the worst offender. Um, he was pretty much middle of the pack. Uh, there, there was a lot of those players at the back. That says a lot. Best day of things. Yeah. yeah. Solly March, 70%. Kukurea, 68%. Um, yeah, Kukurea was not good today. Not no, his best, not. let's say. 
it was a uh, I thought it was a very um I've seen a couple of Leeds fans on on Twitter trying to get some nibbles uh saying that it was basically the Rafinha show uh on that right hand side and I would say what's in the actually, same game yeah I I would actually have to say it was probably a real ding dong battle as they say uh I, I thought it was very uh 50-50 I thought Kukurea was excellent defensively at times but he just it was at times he was then also allowing Rafinha to take the shots that we shouldn't be allowing him to take. I thought it was very 50-50 with those two. And we're used to seeing Kukurea have an 80% advantage every single game. Um, so he did have an off day. Maybe he was just a bit hungover from all of his player of the season. Uh, duo wins uh, this week. Uh, maybe that was what, what put him off a little bit um, or just all of the lookalikes in the stand. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought he had a poorer game this week uh, compared to most. Um, I, I want to go back to the passing stats because I, we look at these every week. I don't know if I've really seen them this bad for quite a while. Um, as, as you say, Basuma was this, this, the shining star above everyone else. Let me know if you've heard that before. But um, outside of that, for a team whose identity is created on possession football and high accuracy, short, short touch passing. Pretty bad, pretty bad. And and let's give a little bit of credit to the way Ted Lasso set up that team uh, because Leeds were very heavy on the press, especially in the second half. And, and that was when we, when we say this was the difference, Leeds wanted it more like get rid of the cliches. They just worked very hard and pressed constantly against us cut all the passing lanes out for a good 20 to 30 minutes in that second half which is why you're seeing this terrible pass accuracy the first half was lightning it was very quick just quick counter-attacking you're not trying to play possession football the second half we couldn't play possession football that's what we wanted to do that's why Lalana came on we just weren't allowed to so a bit of credit to Leeds for that it was even worse for them though they came out with 70% pass accuracy compared to our 74 on the whole. And most of their players were below us uh, on that on that entire grouping, which is really says everything you need to know, really. Uh, it was exactly like that total end-to-end nonsense that, that just they couldn't get into our final third uh, well enough. Um, JD in the chat asks, if we draw next week, would it be mathematically possible to finish top 10? Uh, I think there are a few too many games to go uh, in this midweek group, uh, or rather this this weekend, I suppose. Uh, Palace, Villa, Brentford, um, Newcastle to an extent, uh, and Leicester all have a game to play, JD. Uh, so come back to us uh, midweek when we won't be recording anyway, but we'll talk to you next week uh, <laughs> to find out whether we did or not. Uh, it's really hard to tell because, uh, you know, if Brentford win uh, in a in a book well, at the end of that an hour from now, well, yeah, they're, they're Newcast- losing, losing at the moment. Newcastle, Brentford, Villa, Palace c- can all overtake it because they all have the extra game, right? Yeah, they have a lot. They have all had that game in hand this week, uh, or they just haven't played yet this game week. So, uh, really tough to tell so far, JD. Uh, it depends on those results that are coming in. Brentford are getting beat at the minute, so for them, no, they would, they would then mathematically not be able to catch us. Uh, and as those teams win or lose, you'll start seeing that that throughout. 
Um, I think Villa's game in hand is against Burnley, so that will be very important for both teams. Um, and I think Palace's might be Everton. Yeah, uh, let's let's look at these. Important. We've got let's let's just sum up these games quickly, just so we can get a yay or nay. Because yeah, Palace is Palace play Everton and Man U, two winnable games. Yeah, which is funny to say. Yeah, it is. Uh, Villa, <laughs> Burnley, and Man City. Uh, well, there's one winnable game. Brentford losing to Everton right now, then they play Leeds. And Newcastle have got Arsenal and Burnley. So I'm watching, out of that lot, I'm watching Palace and Newcastle mostly. Um, The ones that are capable of walking away from that with six points would put Newcastle on 49, one ahead of us with a horribly worse goal difference. So if we drew there, we're ahead of them. Palace would be on 51. Uh, with a better goal difference from us. So Palace win out, they're 10th. Yeah. And of course, you've got to wonder what Leicester are going to do because uh, their last games are also not particularly easy. They're away at Chelsea next. Uh, and then they have Southampton at home. And who knows what Southampton are doing. They're just, <laughs> yeah. I mean... Depends what waistcoat Hassan Hilton wears for luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that that's such an up in the air. They could lose both of those uh, or, or not. So it's hard to tell. Um, Max Wood in the chat deserved point for Leeds. Very physical and eventually their volume is set for you. Very physical is, a, is an interesting term uh, for the style of play that Leeds introduced. <laughs> uh, and eventually their volume of set pieces paid off. Something we've said week after week after week after week. Albion allowing set piece after set piece in dangerous areas uh, constantly uh, was a big problem. Um, and then Brighton's final pass and shooting was off today. Uh, not just today, Max. Um, quite often. Uh, Trossard and McAllister in particular. Um, yeah. Leandro Trossard, not his best game today, was it? Uh, after what has been two or three games that have been just lightning. Uh, and then he rolls up today. Um <laughs> and and pulls out that that performance that is the reason why he's playing for Brighton and over Albion and and, and not an Arsenal or Chelsea uh you know a West Ham even you know one of those teams that are a, a perennial European challenger lately uh, that that is why um, because that that's what that's that's the sort of game Trossard has in his locker uh, every every half dozen or so at least been one of the most informed players in the Premier League over the last few games. Uh, I mean, what has he scored? Did he score two in a row or three in a row? Three, I think. Um, it was like three and four, wasn't it? Or something like that. Man, including remember. a goal where he was diabolically bad and, and then scored. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think in many ways he had, he had a Trossard Jekyll and Hyde in the midst of this game. Normally he spreads it out from game to game. This, he, he was actually, he was, pretty good to begin with some nice mazy runs i thought a lot of our i thought our movement was the, the big strong point in the first half um the movement was very 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 good and he was a part of that but yeah as soon as the game turns away from us that's where you start to see the trossard you don't want to see because he gets very lost in the game once once we're not on the front foot yeah and that's the thing is we're, we're talking about it and it will kind of be like a broken record after a while but just when that game turns into that scruff of to and fro where we can't get control these are the players that kind of turn anonymous and go missing um you know and not able to affect the situation because they're not given the time or the available options in order to do something um 
in the second half, you'll see Trossard and McAllister very isolated because they, they just don't have enough around them. And half of that credit is to, to Leeds Press because, like we keep saying, they they were rushing and rushing and rushing. Um, I'm sure they they put in some numbers, um, sort of kilometre-wise. Um, but when they don't have the available options, when they don't have any outlet, um, it, it's very difficult to create something by yourself. And, yeah, they, they went missing. 72% pass accuracy from Trossard on, on only 25 passes. Lalana came on in the 73rd minute, had 14 passes. Uh, well, I think eight of them were in that triangle, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they all count. Uh, yeah, distance of pass maybe needs to be a stat that we can sum up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, onto Trossard's form just to cover it. Uh, goal against Arsenal. Uh, beginning of April next game that 90th minute winner against Spurs then he had his off game against Southampton where it was basically anonymous uh, then came back against Wolves scored one of the three and then got the goal and two assists against Manchester United uh, and then went back to his anonymous performance um, against Leeds so it seems to be uh, one in three uh, he's currently just doing absolutely nothing that's um, pretty good that's better is. than before yep uh, so fingers crossed next week uh, West Ham uh, they might they might be in a bit of trouble. Um, we'll we'll see. Can I, um, can, can I ask a quick question? On which we mentioned him a, a minute ago because I don't know the answer to this, and I'd be interested what the chat says too, and both of your opinions. What is Alexis McAllister? Because I've not, I still not figured the guy out. I don't know whether he is going to be exceptionally talented or whether he is an average quality Premier League player or whether he's going to turn out to be a flop. I don't know because I feel like you get different versions of that throughout like 90 minutes. I don't, I don't know what he is. Well, he's 23, first of all. And he is still, he's not been in the game for a huge amount How of time in the Premier League, has he? <laughs> Uh, that's a bit different though, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> um, that was a low blow. Stop there. I think he's I think he's still got a lot of growing to do. And I think he's also got a lot of figuring that out himself to work out exactly what he is. Um I know Max said in the in the in the thing that he thought that the final pass and shooting was off today, Trossard and Macca in particular. Um I thought Macca was pretty good for large, large swaths of that game. I thought he was yeah. picking out picking out quality passes uh from the midfield. Um, but inevitably, once it came to that final, that final touch, that final pass in that that group, I think he was uh, a, a problem there three times uh, with those passes square into the box that found absolutely no one. Um, it's hard, isn't it? I, I don't think anyone is quite sure where he's best. Um, and I yeah. think Potter is having that problem with, he had that problem with Moda as well. Um, and I think he's having to figure it out as we go. Uh, what is their best position in the midfield? Um, and, and yeah, I'm not sure because you're right. There's there's times in that midfield where you think, I didn't realise Alexis was even playing today. Uh, and then there's times... Good and bad, though, as well in that because sometimes he just funnels the ball through and it's great. Yep. It's difficult, isn't it? There's someone... And just don't know where his best position is or what his best sort of forte is, if you like. And, and you're right, I think, when... There have been games earlier in this season where we've gone, we didn't notice him, but every time that we did, he did something really good. And it, and it's like, okay, well, you know, he's 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 not ever present, but he does the things that maybe he's asked to do, which is funnel the ball off and, and start creating other passages of play. And obviously he's got a goal in this locker. We know that. And it's just getting in those positions. And, and maybe that's just not what he's being asked to do. But 
Uh, yeah, I mean, super tidy on the ball. Obviously, has talent, but I think Adam, you're right. I don't know whether that's going to take him to Champions League quality or whether he, he stays at this level. And I, I guess it's, it's up to the player more than anything else. And what he's playing for Argentina is sometimes he's, he's looks astoundingly good. We know he's got a really great just stationary ball set piece on him. Um, but I, I still don't think if we're thinking about him as the sort of heir apparent to Pascal Gross, when Gross has a good game, like, like, like last week, you're like, Pascal Gross looks like the best player on the planet. And I don't think he quite can grab the game by the scruff of the neck like a Pascal Gross can do that. I think we hope that comes with experience and age. But that's that's a bit of the difference for me. I think he still has the lows of a Pascal Gross if they're, they're on an off day. I don't think he has the highs quite yet. Be interesting to see how it plays out next year. Yeah, I think we'll get there. Uh, I mean, I think we're going to find out one way or another, right? <laughs> For better or worse, I think this time next year, I think we'll be able to say with a lot more certainty what trajectory Alexis McAllister has. Um, it's a bit different to a player like Caicedo, where you're looking at him in his sixth appearance, different. similar to Kukurea, and you just yeah. go, he's destined for, for very high, <laughs> very, yes. very high level football. Um, Alexis is one of those players that we, we're not able to do that with just yet. Um so we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, for those listening to this podcast, it is released on Mondays. Um, if you're listening via audio, so this isn't particularly exciting for you. Uh, but Everton have just had their man sent off after going one nil up. So uh, they're not making it easy on themselves at Goodison. Wait, who got sent off? Uh, by Brant, Branthwaite? Jared Branthwaite? I don't know who is that is. Is that a player? Is that a real player? Apparently a centre off. That doesn't sound great for them. All right, it's good content though, isn't it? For the for the for the live <laughs> listeners, yeah, it is. Uh, Brentford are uh, probably going to come back into the ascendancy there and maybe put Everton under all kinds of trouble. Um, Not ideal for us, as we talked about before, because their yep. last game is against Leeds, very winnable, and then they could potentially then they would be on what forty nine points with potentially a very similar goal difference to us. Oh, do we have to cheer for Everton now? That's horrible. And the worst part is, is there's a lot of money involved too, isn't there? Different difference between thirteenth and ninth is uh, is about what twenty twenty five million pounds. Uh, it's significant. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of money um, to be thrown away. There, that was uh, that could have got us Darwin Nunez last year, um, but off the PSG, <laughs> off the PSG he goes. Is yeah, is it, what one hundred twenty million euro player now, Darwin Nunez? Yep, yep. <laughs> crazy, crazy how things change, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I, I was telling one of my friends here who's less familiar with like older Brighton history I was like he is the new Van Dyke, isn't he like we were this close to getting Van Dyke, and then everything went the way it did um, I, I prefer to look one. on the other side of things in that we've got a pretty good selection of players that we can qualify as stealing from other teams namely Casado, Cucurea, uh, the uh, Sanchez if you want to I mean less classified there but I'll take those. I'll take those. If we get two or three for every one that gets away, that's okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the standout is, I mean, I know it's poor today, but £900,000 for Joel Feltman is silly business. I think for someone that I thought was a shoe-in for player of the season as well, if it wasn't for Kukurea, like we have a knack for getting those good deals. Yep. Uh, Justice in the chat. Welbeck should have scored a game, but was very good overall. Um, yeah, that's it today. Uh, was peak Welbeck, wasn't it? Um, absolute filth in the first half. 
uh, absolute dosser in the second half. And how, how are you? Like, how are you missing that? It was a great ball in as well. Um, I'm not sure who it was. Was it Trossard who actually whipped that in? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. And there you go again. You see, Welbeck hits that into the back of the net as he should, and Trossard comes away with an assist today. And you go, it was all right, not so bad. Um, yeah, not to be, not to be, and now he's shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's gone from Wele to. Oh, Dad, I can't even think of the opposite of that. He's a he's a crap Brazilian player. Uh, he was the guy that played for Spurs, then got outsourced. Anderson? What about Anderson? The lad who needed oxygen at about 28 years old. Yeah, okay, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I do agree with Justice, though. Um, Basuma, best man on the pitch. He was he, he was very, very good today in, a, in what was otherwise a sort of sea of mediocrity for me. Um, him, him and Sanchez and then 30 minutes of Danny Welbeck were were impressive yeah uh, on to man of match then uh, Pissuma for me I agree with Justice as well I thought he was great uh, he didn't really do anything wrong um, and I'm yeah. kind of sad that Leeds are as dirty as they are because there was two of those runs where I was like oh boy like what's he going to do here? And he was just hacked down. He got, uh, got hit just, like knee height, didn't he? As well. I was like, well, I thought Kukureya was going to be out for two years when he got that knee in the mm. face nearly. It was just just got up. Yeah, yeah. It was. It looked scary in real time. It uh, looked like a rather exaggerated injury <laughs> there yeah, in real yeah. in, in slow mo, uh, which is Pete Kuku as well. Um, so. We'll get on to Max's question in a minute, but uh, for you two, who's your man of the match? Yeah, it's Basuma as well, I think, for all the same reasons. And like we said, uh, the game sort of gets away from you and he's he's the the best of of the lot, I think. I'm just glad he's he's back to that sort of, that standard of performance that we can expect from him now after that little lull in in February. Um, So yeah, I mean, there's no questions there. Jesus, the, the little, little microphone feedback there, to say the least. Um, yeah, the his it's Basuma, but is this the, the penultimate time in a Brighton shirt? Is this the well, hopefully the last time we ever see any of these players in the yellow and blue kit? But is this is one more one more appearance in a Brighton shirt? What are we saying? I I guaranteed on the last episode of last season's podcast that that was the last time we'd be seeing Basuma in a Brighton of Albion shirt. Yeah. As did most, I think. Well, uh, Steven Gerrard nearly got his way. It yeah. was not a particularly brave prediction uh, as it was the general consensus. Um, and he's now played another full season of football. Um, if you want me to be 100% honest, the longer this goes on, the more I have this niggling feeling we're actually going to extend it. Oh, I've, now you said that. Now I'm almost certain he's leaving. <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. I think it's, you can make an argument for both cases, I guess. I think you're right. The longer it drags on, the longer there isn't any substance to it. Um, but at the same time, um, he is different gravy. And you know, if, if what we read and heard about in January is true, then... I don't think we're going to stand in this way if there's an offer that's that's right. So um, the good thing is we do have Casado to, to sort of step in. I'd love it to be alongside him rather than instead of. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic footballer. I think if, if he goes to anywhere but a Champions League club, that's where I'll be disappointed. If he goes to Villa, it's going to be 
one of the dumbest decisions anyone could ever make to get i mean that they've just i mean they're making stupid decisions they just paid 20 million for for Coutinho who i think barcelona would have offered them 20 million to take him uh do you take a 70% wage cut um to 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 what go play for steven gerrard's exciting team that are sort of battling for what 15th at the moment um if if you are a director of football or is responsible for transfers at, at any other Premier League club, I think you just what you've watched Basuma's body of work over the past two years. You look at how much he's paid, about twenty five grand a week right now, a contract that expires in twenty twenty three. He's going to get so many offers. In my opinion, I, I just think it's going to get to a point where there'll be multiple clubs that are interested in him and and he is too tempted to, to go. That's my gut feeling. Um, just from a pragmatic standpoint, he's he's too good of a footballer to not have tempting interest. That's, that's my thinking. I think if he doesn't go to a Champions League team, it's entirely financial, right? It's entirely monetary. Um, I know, I know, Coutinho took that seventy percent pay cut, but I suspect he's probably on double what anyone at Brighton is still. Oh well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, what was he earning at Barcelona? I just, scary amounts of money. Yeah. Small country's GDP. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we can't compete with Villa. Uh, we can compete with them on the pitch. We can outperform them on the pitch, but monetarily wise, uh, with the billions that they have and the owner that they have, we we physically can't, and we probably never will uh, at that point. So. Um, if he decides to go for money, then fair play to him. Um, but like you said, there's there's really no reason why there shouldn't be a whole bunch of European football playing teams in the mix. But I was really surprised at the sheer lack of rumors going around last year and this and this January too. Um, it doesn't seem like any of them are particularly looking at him, um, and I'm not sure why that is. They, they have to, because if you just purely look around at the options that other teams are trotting out, they're not as good. <laughs> so, like, it's just as simple as that. I, I just can't see how other clubs like, I don't know, Wolves have got interesting central midfield options, but they're ageing. West Ham, Basuma's an upgrade on options that they've got in central midfield. Spurs, even. Like, we've talked about Man United to a massive extent at this point. Like, if you can't say Basuma is better than Scott McTominay, I don't know what to tell you. Like, and that's who we'd be stepping in for. So look, I just don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like, they, there has to be interest. And let's not forget, by the way, there, weirdly, there are other teams outside of England that can bid for players. It's a thing. Uh, he should have other options elsewhere to play in, in Europe as well. Yes, we'll see. So you reckon our position in the table determines anything or is it just irrelevant for him at this point I mean what's the difference if you were Yves Basuma what's the difference between 10th and 13th I think it depends on what money we're going to offer him based on that depends on what we given how we finish this year it depends on whether they think okay this is something we can sustain or something we can't um, and I think that would change then what we're offering him Um possibly substantially when it comes to your bonuses and your add-ons and stuff like that. Um, so I, I really don't know. Um, the scooch, scooch in the chat. 
uh, home ball as well. Yes, uh, he is. I believe he's a Charlotte-based Brighton uh, and a Albion fan. So I'm sure I'll be meeting up with with him sooner or later. Um, so Max Wood in the chat. Uh, what do you all think about Kukurea's hybrid left centre back, left back role uh, with Trossard ahead of him? Who should be our back three next season? Great question, Max, uh, because we do have two championship player of the seasons about to come back from their loans. Yeah. Uh, and Genoa regular Leo Ostergaard as well. Uh, Shane Duffy obviously is going to be on his way this summer. Uh, I think that's an absolute certainty. Um, Hayden Roberts clearly is probably going to be either going on a loan or possibly going somewhere uh, for a small fee as well. It doesn't seem like he's made that step up we wanted him to uh, this year. Um, so, whew, in terms of what we're going to be playing at that centre half role, um, I don't know. Veltman has been superb this year. Lewis Dunk is Lewis Dunk. Adam Webster has been great when he's not been hurt. Van Heck isn't going to want to sit on the bench all day, every day. It's, neither is, uh, what's his name? Kadra. Not Kadra. Oh, nah. Um, um, the West Brom. Fella. Oh, Matt Clark. Clark. Yeah. Well, I, I I don't know what they're going to do with. Clark. I I feel like Clark's good. How many times can we loan he's, the guy out? I think he's. I reckon he's gone. Twenty four now, isn't he? I feel like we could get a decent fee for him too. I mean, speak, it's, it's, it's good. He keeps winning Player of the Season wherever he goes in the Championship. So he's, he's clearly got something about him. But I think it's just yeah. I think another one of those where he's found his level. I think. But uh, what I like about this though is. We've got, we know that our, our, I'll remove Lamptey just for a second. Our first choice, right and left back, wing backs, can both play centre defence. That's pretty rare. Doesn't always happen. And they're pretty comfortable there. Uh, you've got Duncan Webster as your first choice in the, in the centre of it. Um, then you've got other options that you can potentially bring back and have a bit of rotation in. And it casts our mind back a little bit to when we had Ben White and we had groupings that we could switch in and out that's nice that's good especially when we've got players that are more injury liable that we're going to have to make switches for i think the biggest thing for me here is i your first choice if we're playing two at the back is, is obviously duncan webster if you've got the three it really depends on on what they do with van heck i, I see van heck being a a potential starter of a number of games next year if we keep him and don't loan him out or sell him uh, and then Veltman plays the like spells him out for the others when Lamptey comes on and plays right wing back or whatnot. Um, that's what I think. But the other bigger news is that we just don't have to make a, an investment in that group, so we can actually spend our money elsewhere where we need it a little bit more. I think that's that was the key, wasn't it? Last season was <laughs> get ourselves a left back, please, um, and we were crying out for that. And boy, have we got one! I think, but you're spot on. It's I don't think we have had to invest in in that area. I mean, we did for for Webster, and I think he's he's a different beast. But I think that that plethora of options, especially coming back from loans as well, um, and it's the same. I, I mentioned Kadra inadvertently across a centre back conversation, but he's another one as well where you you have an option coming back, and it's like okay, let's let's see what they can do when they come back in pre season. Um, but I think centre back pairing, I think we're done and dusted. It's it's how do you how do you rotate them effectively, not only to keep them happy, but to to keep things fresh. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's also part of the the benefits of what this transfer window is going to look like with the amount of players out of contract in twelve months time. 
the the players coming back, your Mitomas, your Kadras, uh, your Kozlowskis or whatever his name is uh, as well, um, your players coming back, your players coming in, your Rondavs, uh, and your players coming back from loan with, uh, with that centre-half group as well. I feel like it gives such a benefit to the team because for the first half of this window, we can really focus on seeing what we're going to ship out, seeing what we can renew and work from there. And Graham can take a look at those people in that early preseason and he'll get a good idea, I think, in that first couple of weeks, who is possible, who definitely isn't possible. Uh, and at that point, we get to the second half of the window. And for those that want recruitment now, 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 it can be really frustrating, I think, for you. Uh, but for those that can see what we're going to do here and wait it out and see what Mitoma has to offer, see what Kazra has to offer, see what Van Heck and Clark and Ostergaard have to bring to the table, I think you're going to see a lot of Brighton have agreed to deal with Sociedad for whoever, like for like four million pounds. Like you're going to see those ones, and you're going to see we're delighted to announce with Simon McAllister to another three-year deal. You're going to see a lot of that, I think, throughout June. And yeah. I think once you get to that mid-July, I think then you're going to start seeing blah, blah, blah has gone out on loan. Blah, blah, blah has gone out on loan. And then when it gets to that late July and you're two or three weeks away from the season starting, you're going to start seeing those rumours start popping up with actual uh, weight behind them. Uh, Brighton are looking at exit striker. Brighton are looking at Wyatt midfield. Um, I think it's going to be a frustrating time for those that are desperate for for signings immediately. Uh, I don't think we're going to see that this year. I think we've got plenty of work to do in-house. Um, but I think it's going to be a really, really important transfer window. The most important. I think I've yep. said that about eight times in the last eight episodes. But this is the most important transfer window in our Premier League history since that first one. Um, think you've just got to have a little bit of patience though because i don't think we're going to go out there grabbing everyone and anyone quickly like we sometimes have done in the past i completely agree because and and i think there's that news of contract renewals coming in in many ways is more important than new signings that we can bring in because there's always a risk with new signings i know we get all excited like, let's bring on this guy great it just doesn't work out you've got known entities here that you do want to renew and you don't want them to get to, as we talked about before, a January where they've got six months left on their contract. People are still focused on the World Cup. This January transfer window is going to be an absolute shit show. Don't want to leave your business until then. They know that. Um, so we've got to get some of those players tied up. But I also think there's going to have to be a bit of a reactionary element to this because going back to the conversation that we had around Basuma, there's no guarantee that someone comes in and offers the right money for Basuma. We might try and play the, the slightly longer game there and and try and get him wrapped up in, in a longer-term contract. But the club has to be prepared for, well, what if someone comes in and offers 30 million, 40 million for Basuma? What if someone comes in and offers decent money for Trossard? The same for our other key players. Suddenly, where you thought you were comfortable for another 12-plus months, you have to now make a, a bigger decision and, and, and bring in someone new. But freeze frame the team as it is right now, the team that just smashed Man United at home. Let's remove the game today from our memories to a certain extent. Um, I don't know if I look at that team and go, oh God, there's a really glaring problem with this team. Apart from the, the standard, uh, we probably want a new striker. We've got Dennis Indaf coming in and we've got high hopes for him. So it's more about how do we enhance the team rather than, and sign players to longer-term contracts rather than think, oh, God, no, we we desperately need a defensive midfielder. We desperately need this winger. I don't think it's like that. 
it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because it's the first time I've felt like that for a, a long time where this this upcoming window is more about, let's just, can we re-sign the players we have, please? And, and, and sort of keep that core group because something is progressing here. We've seen a tangible upturn in performance this year compared to last year. Um, you know, we're, we're not looking over our shoulder anymore. There's progression and it's, okay, let's tie down the people that we do have here because a lot of these guys are young and they are progressing. The the McAllister's, you know, Eves Basuma is, what, 25, 26? It's not old by any stretch. And um, so you want to see these young players progress and come through. Um, and you do have to keep in fact that, you know, all of these teams are going through the same cycle, right? Uh, or at least some of the more well-run clubs are also running through this. Let's see what's coming back from loan. Let's assess. And then let's go out to the market. Um, so a lot of this stuff is going to happen very late on. Um, and it's a really good point about January because, you know, someone puts in three blinder performances in Qatar and all of a sudden he's worth 50 mil. Um, so, you know, you have to keep aware of that. I think for, for me, it's more about just retaining this core group and seeing how we can evolve rather than, completely swap out um, and just see what we can do there. Um, key importance, obviously, yeah, tie everyone down to contracts. And if someone is going to go like Basuma, do it sooner rather than later so it doesn't disrupt our, our core thinking. Yeah, players like that, Basuma, Mope, Gross. Uh, if we're not going to renew contracts for Gross, we need to make that pretty clear from the word go. It feels uh, done that he's going, doesn't it? It, really it does. does. Um and, and for Basuma is the obvious one. And, and let's talk about Neil uh, before we wrap up today. Uh, so uh, fans in the stadium, uh, two pieces of news came out. Uh, and we're lucky enough to be recording right at the end here. Uh, Neil stormed down the tunnel after the final sub was made. Uh, so when there was no more subs able to be done, he was a goner. He walked down a tunnel and was done. Obviously not great. Uh, but quite in line with his past behavior this last like, three, four, five weeks. However, uh, for those fans that stayed in Ellen Road while they waited for all the fans to file out and those ones who stayed a little bit later, he came back out onto the pitch, warmed down and interacted with fans and was very happy or positive and, and interacting with a lot of the fans. So was that another one of those passionate moments or did he just need the bathroom or like what? Like, I, I don't know what to say because he is a very up and down fire fight, like fire of a player. Was it just a case of just him just having a strop and then coming back out and getting over himself? Um, if it had just been left off at going down the tunnel, like there's been a couple of comments in the chat with it's one thing, but for him to come back out, warm down with the team and be like happily interacting with fans, it adds a different side to the coin. I think to this discussion that maybe other fans and maybe other outlets might not discuss. Look, he's, he's on the bench. He's losing out to a no disservice. Cause I love him. A journeyman perennially injured striker who we've just renewed a contract for. We've just signed a top scorer from another league. If you're Neil Mike, just a human level. You're frustrated. Like that's completely understandable. Then you're hoping to put more than one goal away against Leeds and you're not brought on uh, to even as a fresh pair of legs. And the team decides to go with Tarek Lamptey over you because they think there's more of a chance of him doing something. Um, that's tough. 
I think that's tough. I, I, he's a very emotional guy, like you say. So I don't think it's completely unwarranted. He might have had a bit of strop, and he might have had a word with himself and decided, you know what, I've got to come back and be a professional. I don't, I'm not going to judge him for, for any of those things. I think it's probably – we probably do similar in, in the same situation. It's frustrating for him. I still maintain that I don't think he's, he plays for Brian again. I, I completely agree. I think it's, I, I sympathize with the fact that he's finding himself in this position. I think, like you said, on a human level, that's um, hard to deal with. Um, and, you know, being kept out of the team. Um, but God knows what's being said in the dressing room. Um, maybe he knew that he wasn't going to come on if things stood. You know, it, you, you never know. From a professional standpoint, he also wants to be scoring goals. This guy is 23, 24 years old, wants to be playing in the Premier League. So from a professional standpoint, he wants to bump those numbers up. And I think then it comes to the question is, is he going to start doing that elsewhere now? Um, and firstly, does he feel the need to leave? Um, or secondly, do we feel that we don't need him anymore? Um, there's, I guess there's, there's two sides to that coin. Um, that's going to be one interesting bit about the summer, for sure, is where does he stand and um, where do we hold him in our regard um, and is he happy with that and um, like i said it, we are reading a lot into this as well and um, it, it seemed to be something that everyone's putting their focus on always has he gone down the tunnel early has he clapped the fans off you know it's very um you know it, we look at the small things when really it could be like josh said maybe he just he needed a pee yeah, just needed to go to the toilet and it wasn't a big deal. He knew he wasn't coming on, so he goes and relieves himself. Um, you know, th- if there's those sort of things as well where you can overthink these things. I do want to go back to there's something I th- we did touch on before, which is uh, we're going to lose all our listeners here, by the way, so I apologize. Uh, I compared this situation a little bit to like Baker Mayfield in the NFL for the Browns in that he's had ups and downs, brought great moments to the team clearly has been looked over now but I think the key bit in both of these situations is that neither of those players Mope or Mayfield are comfortable being rotational options they won't sit back and and spell someone else out Danny Welbeck will do that he'll happily will be injured probably but he'll be happily sit on the bench <laughs> and then come in when he's needed right um I don't think Mope if, if, if Potter turns around and says to Neil Mope you're going to be second slash third choice next year behind Undav and Welbeck and whoever else we try and sign, he goes, fuck off, let me leave. I think that's the situation. Oh, yeah. I look forward to segmenting this out with uh, a Twitter post in a couple of days. Is, is Baker Mayfield and Neil Mopé the same player? Um, I'll see what bites we get there <laughs> at some point. <laughs> is Neil Mopé the Baker Mayfield of, of the Premier League? Uh, that should get some stateside seagulls interactions for Think about sure. How much abuse we're going to get from the yeah uh, yeah yeah from all sides? It's going to be both. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, he's going to be one of those players that I'm I'm 99 sure the club are fully aware of where they stand on him now, and they will act sooner than later when it comes to the window. You're, you're going to see your Pascal Gross decision made very quickly. You'll see your Shane Duffy decision made very quickly. And I think you're going to see a Neil decision made very quickly. I think they already know at this point what they're going to do with him. Um, and he probably knows too. They're probably having these discussions with him. Uh, because I, like we said, like we're seeing this 90-minute snippet, not all of his training sessions, all of his conversations he's having with the managers, all of his conversations he's having with his teammates, all that shit. We're not seeing any of that. 
and that's the beauty of being a fan right we just like look at 90 minutes in a microscope one minor incident and then just like he's off and he he hates it <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. I, I will, and for, by the way, just as a quick side note, for the for the people in the future, obviously you don't care, but this game has turned bizarre. This Brentford-Everton one. Uh, Everton own goal, made it 1-1. Then Everton got a penalty and have scored it in a 2-1 up with 10 men. Absolute chaos. Peak end of the season nonsense, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, did yeah. you see uh, Southout Kufau's, Kufau's goal today? Absolute no. blinder of a diving header for an own goal. Amazing. <laughs> Colin Hawkins-esque. It, yeah, it was Hawkins. Um, I but think Jared Bowen for England. He's got to get on the. He's got to get on the plane. Side note: He has to be. What yeah. season? Yeah. Uh, before we go off, um, real quick, because there has been some stuff decided around the leagues today. Um, congratulations, Stockport County, uh, for coming back to the football league today. Um, they got the the necessary result to get themselves into the the EFL again. Um, been a long time coming for them. I remember going to watch us play them a long time ago at their stadium, and it was essentially just like a dirt pitch, <laughs> just, just sand. Um, and they've had a rough time of it. So, congrats, Stockport. Um, I hope you have a nice time back in the in the football league. Um, Wrexham may well be following them up. Ryan's Ryan Reynolds' buds uh, might well be following up. They were very hard done by uh, not to make it. Honestly, it was very close at the end there, but. They left themselves too much to do at the end uh, and got absolutely dicked by Dagenham and Redbridge today. Uh, so it did really hey, that's my game. old hometown. Uh, I'm, I, seeing Dagenham and Redbridge play is one of the most uh, disheartening things I've ever... I've never seen more throw-ins in a game than watching Dagenham and <laughs> Redbridge. No one can keep the ball on the pitch. All due respect, <laughs> local team. Amazing. Um, you love to see it. You really do. Yeah. Uh, non-league football is something special. Um <laughs> Any any stateside seagulls that are listening, uh, and you do ever go over to the UK, I, I'm sure you'd want to go watch the Albion, of course. But I highly recommend you pop down to Lewis or Worthing in the meantime, um, because it is quite an experience. A different breed, uh, isn't it? Worth it? Yeah. Um, I think that's everything uh, for those that are listening in. Um, next week will be our standard podcast reviewing the game against West Ham, uh, obviously covering all of that last day drama uh, when it comes to the Premier League Super Sunday stuff. Um, and then uh, the following week, uh, we will be back for a full season recap review. Um, players of the season, shouldn't be a surprise what we're all going to be picking there, spoiler alert. Um, and then games of the season, uh, players we want to list that definitely should be contract renewals, maybes, definitely let goes, transfer targets, anything like that we'll just be having uh, a, just a dick around chat for an hour recovering everything Albion from from 21 22 uh covering all the stuff we need to um and then uh, we'll just be kind of playing it by ear uh, depending on what moves the Albion make um and what conversations we want to have and and if anybody comes to us with any dms of some really good ideas of podcast episodes to throw out there in the summer we will uh, will oblige. So for those listening, uh, that's a hint to you to, to get involved. Um, and we'll happily have you on as well. Uh, if you want to participate in whatever discussion you would like to have, get on the show, have, have your say. Um, other than that, Adam, Craig, anything else? That's it. Thank you, everyone, for participating and, and listening. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Awesome. Have a good one. Cheers, all.